0: Hi, this is Brad Keithley, Managing Director of Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Welcome to the weekly top three, the top three things on our mind here at Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets for the week of February 24th, 2020. The weekly top three is a regular segment on The Michael Duke Show. The show broadcasts on Facebook Live and via streaming audio from the show's website, weekdays from 6 to 8 a.m. I join Michael on Tuesdays from 6.20 to 7 a.m. for a discussion between the two of us about our three issues. We post the podcast of our discussion following the show on the Alaska for Sustainable Budgets Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Spotify pages, also on the New Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets website, as well as the Projects page on national blog site medium.com. You can find past episodes of the weekly top three also at the same locations. Keep in mind that in addition to these podcasts, during the week, you also can follow and participate in the discussion with us of these and other issues affecting Alaska's fiscal and economic condition by following us on the Alaska for Sustainable Budgets Facebook page and through our posts on Twitter. This week, our top three issues are these. First, we discuss our concern that the governor's current path on budget issues is leading straight to another year of deep PFD cuts. Second, we explain why the Senate Finance Committee's leading proposal on a spending cap doesn't do much. And third, we discuss the impact of the recent Goldman, Chase, and others' decisions to curtail funding of Alaska oil investments, and our view of how the state should respond. And now, let's join Michael.
1: Um. So let's dive down into this, Brad. Uh, I was just talking, I just played the governor's interview on uh, Alaska Insights, talking about, you know, kind of what his game plan is, which, I mean, I've been trying to suss out and figure out what his game plan is. Uh, I'm not quite sure. I'm wondering if this is all about the the vetoes at the end. But I think it's basically kind of a tag-you're-it situation, where he has just passed the baton to the legislature and said, OK, you didn't like what I did? Fine. Here, here it is. Oh, and, and by the way, I proposed these threes amendments that would have helped, but you guys didn't even look at him. He's kind of just passing the ball right into their court.
0: He is, and um, and and I'm afraid uh, it, it's a turnover. I mean, I, I'm afraid he's passed the ball into their court, and I think they've they've taken it and and they know exactly what they want to do, uh, which is to just cut the pf uh, the PFD again. I mean, it's it, he. I understand what he's saying in the Alaska Insights interview. I understand the frustration of last year, uh, where he got burned badly uh, by by trying to be proactive with with spending cuts and and pushing forward on a on a, on a right sizing government agenda. I understand the frustration. I understand the, the the pain of that and 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 what that what that does to a person. Uh, but the but the proposal this year is is basically, as you say, that pass the ball into the other court and say, you know, tag, you're it. You guys, uh, you guys, you know, come up with your own ideas. The problem with that from, from our perspective uh, is that they know exactly what they want to do in both houses, which is to use the PFD as the punching bag, use it as the, another as the, uh, savings account, uh, and draw that down. So they're not really interested. Neither body is really interested in coming up with their own set of proposals Revenue proposals or spending, spending proposals, um, and, and doing what the governor says he wants them to do, which is feed back to him a variety of proposals. So there's give and take. They're just set on both bodies are set, uh, on using PFD cuts as the way of balancing the budget. And frankly, they're just sitting there going, wow, the governor gave the ball to us. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll hold it and run the clock out. Um, and then at the end we'll uh, we'll take the final shot and we know exactly what that shot is we know exactly where it's going and it's and and the governor's essentially saying he's not going to put up any defense when we when we take that shot so it's it's a it's a very very frustrating situation the governor's plea that uh the legislature take up the constitutional amendments uh, if a, if the if the legislature was serious about that um, they would have kept mike shower on uh, senate finance mike Schauer, the, the constitutional amendments went through state senate affairs or senate state affairs last year while mike was chairman of that he worked on them hard he remolded them uh, he he developed uh, support for them passed them on to judiciary judiciary passed on one maybe the spending cap on to senate finance and then senate finance promptly excuse me, introduced its own bill and forgot about the constitutional amendment on the spending cap. So uh, there's no, there's no movement on, on these constitutional amendments in the Senate. There's been none, uh, over on the house side, they sort of, they went into the house and sort of like they went into a black hole someplace. Right. Um, and, and they, they aren't going to go forward. So it's just fr- from the governor's standpoint, I understand how, why he starts this the way he does I got burned last year by coming out up front with with all my with my spending cut proposals. You guys take the ball, but the problem is, they know exactly what they're going to do with the ball, and it's not what the governor wants, and it's what uh, it's not what what is in the best interest of the state. Certainly, uh, you're just sort of giving the ball over to the top twenty percent uh, and uh, and letting yep. them uh, control the block,
1: the clock. Well, let let me play devil's advocate for a second, because I'm wondering, again, I'm just, this is all thinking just kind of, uh, you know, thinking out loud, but as I watch this and I agree, I mean, he's kind of just passed the ball over to them, but I mean, does this allow them to, you know, does, is he thinking that he can get them to kind of paint themselves into this corner as cutters of the PFD and then he could come in and veto uh, any of this extra spending and then maybe have the fight at the end uh, and then maybe tie this up into the elective uh, into the election season. Uh, I mean, it, can he paint them in the picture? You know, in that way, or do you think that that's wishful thinking on his part? I mean, I don't know if it's his thinking, but I'm just kind of thinking out loud here.
0: You know, that would that would that might make sense in some scenarios, but his budget was sort of a status quo budget. It was a 4.5 billion dollar plus or minus operating budget, 4.6 uh 5 billion, uh billion dollar uh total UGF budget by the time you add in uh capital spending and that's sort of capital That's sort of a, a a status quo budget the the legislature um is is tinkering with that uh in uh, around the ferries uh they're going to tinker with that I think with respect to the university um and and sort of you know move some numbers around but not materially so At the end of this legislative process, what it's looking like, the appropriations process, is he gets a budget back that's not materially different than the one he sent. Now, does he at that point say, well, I was expecting you to fund it um, uh, and and, uh, fund it differently than than the PFD, and since you didn't, I'm going to veto it now. I'm going to veto these spending measures because I don't like what you're doing on the revenue side. Maybe, Uh, but that seems, I mean, the legislature would then paint him as, as 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 going back on, on on his initial proposal about spending levels and sort of reignite the whole uh, the whole debate last year, I, what what I would have hoped the governor would have done? I mean the, I, I'm going to go to this again. The OMB ten year plan, I think is an excellent document. And the five scenarios he lays out in there, um, I think are are exactly the scenarios we ought to be considering. And the fifth scenario, the balanced scenario, I think is is an excellent landing point uh, for the state. It's sort of the all of the above approach. You give a little bit, you give a little bit, you give a little bit, and we finally arrive at a sustainable long term fiscal plan. But even when Lori, uh Townsend tried to prod him on scenario five, tried to prod him on the balance, right? He didn't really take ownership of it. Yeah. Um, and and so I, I I mean that's if 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 I were in his position, I would be. You know, talking about Scenario 5 every hour of the day. This is the landing spot we ought to be driving toward.
1: Well, yeah, but I I think that, you know, this is, I think that's as far as he wants to take the idea of Scenario 5 is literally publishing it. I don't think he necessarily wants to own it because, again, it's antithetical to Republicans to want to propose taxes, right? I mean, that's the death knell. Well, for most Republicans, the ones that are in the Senate don't seem to give two hoots. Uh, as long as it's not a tax that directly affects them, uh, but I mean, he, you know, again, he he ran on a platform of really no new taxes, so I think that might be as far as he politically feels that he can go is by including it in the OMB plan and kind of mentioning it in passing, but not really endorsing it.
0: Well, that 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 sounds logical, but the problem then is there's no one advocating it because the legislature is not going to advocate it. They've got they've got their PFD cut approach. Uh, and they're perfectly happy to play to play that role. I mean, you listen to Bryce, you listen you, certainly if you listen to Giesel, uh, the you know, the PFD's too high, we gotta get the PFD the PFD's down, it's unsustainable. I mean I I, I saw part of Gary Knopf's uh, presentation down at the Kenai down in his district in Kenai, uh, and it's uh we we've gotta do a, a PFD that's affordable, that that we can afford clearly signaling that it's the leftover approach whatever's left over at the end of the state taking what what it wants to out of the revenue stream then then we'll sort of distribute the rest of it to the, to the to the legislature so there's no i mean scenario five has no owner Then has no advocate Then you've got a situation where the governor says i don't know i tried you guys try and they say fine we know exactly what we're doing <laughs> right <laughs> thank you very much
1: right thanks for um, thanks for the help we're on our it, way right
0: Exactly. And so you've got no, you've got no one advocating this, the, the, the balanced middle. I mean, the sort of the most public advocate of the balanced middle is me. And that's, that's, that's really, I mean, you're really in a sad situation when you've got that. So right. um, it, it's, it's, it, it, it it's just a very, I mean, it's like this, it's like this huge chasm. Uh, the governors, you know, sort of opened up this huge chasm by not advocating um anything really, uh, other than, other than, you know, it's the legislature's turn. I tried last year, it's the legislature's turn and the legislature going fine. Thank you very much. Um, and, and there's really, there's really no one trying to develop another alternative, no one in government trying to develop another alternative at this point. Uh, it's just, um, it's, it's just, as you said at the beginning, the governor passed the ball, the the legislature took it, (laughs) And they're going to run out the clock and then and then run their play that they know that they know how to run and uh, and the governor's not really putting up well, a defense to
1: it. It'll take some real uh, uh, you know delicate political tinkering to try and lay this at their feet, which I, I mean I think is possible, but I think will be very tough. So that's number one, the governor's plan, which leads us one, into number good.
0: One one thing we, we we should mention in connection with that is the recall, how okay. the recall is over, is overlaying on all that. Um, and and the recall now can go off anytime. The recall election could be anytime, if, uh, assuming they get the seventy thousand uh, signatures, anytime between June and August. So the governor's got to be thinking about that recall sitting in there too, uh, as he gets down to the end of the uh, end of the legislative session, and uh, and I think that plays that plays a role. Yeah. No. Absolutely.
1: And am I ascribing way too much here uh, to the governor and to his team? on this because I just I keep maybe maybe I mean maybe it's wishful thinking on my part but I just keep hoping that there's some kind of long-term, you know, long game here, some kind of end game politically where they're going to come back and spin it around and say, "See, look, these guys, you know, during the election cycle, they did this and they did that." Or do you think it's just running scared, which is kind of, you know, the intimation from the recall effort and everything else? I mean do you do you give a weight to that one way or the other fifty fifty what what are your thoughts
0: well michael i I would hope that you're right. I would hope that there's a political game plan to it to push this all back on the legislature and to say you guys didn't come up with an adequate funding plan uh, and so I'm going to you know veto or I'm going to you know reimplement my my spending cut plan um, and and essentially put pressure on in that way but but politically, you want to be signaling that stuff. You want to be sort of laying the groundwork of, I gave you a chance to do this right, you didn't do it, uh, and now I'm going to make you pay for it, now I'm going to shove it down your throat. Uh, the governor's not doing any of that signaling. If he if he comes up, the, the sort of the, the problem is, if he comes up at the end, I was talking to somebody yesterday, and they said, well, what the governor ought to do is if they rely on 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 a PFD, is he just ought to veto the entire budget and say no? We're going to have a we're going to ha- we're going to follow the statute on the PFD and we're going to stay in session until you do a veto. If he was going to do that, y- you ought to be laying the groundwork for that now by saying that's what I'm going to do, um, and 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 start to put pressure on the legislature, sort of holding that, being silent about that, and 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 assuming you can do that at the end somehow. Um, I think I think is is um it, it's a it's a challenged political strategy because the governor's not laid a good groundwork for it he's not gotten a, a a swell of public support behind him for that he's not put pressure on the on the legislature and the legislature gets to the end and would say look you told us that, you know you want you were waiting for proposals from us well here's our proposal we're doing it on uh, on on the backs of of the PFD. And it's not like a surprise. It's a surprise, Governor. That's what we did last year. That's what we've done for the last four years. So you, you surely didn't expect us to do anything different. You know, you are creating a crisis here. You, Governor, are creating a crisis here at the end by coming in with all these vetoes uh, and telling us to solve the problem. We did. You knew, we, and we were very clear along, this is how we were going to do it. And now you're creating a crisis by coming at the end and said, well, you want it some way different. The governor needs to be, if, if that's where he's going, if 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 this is going for an end game where he's going to blame the legislature for not coming up with the right with the right solution, he needs to be laying the groundwork by telling them that if they go this direction, he's gonna he's gonna veto. I, otherwise, it's uh, I think he's the one that looks bad in the end if he tries to if he tries to pull the rug out from from uh, under the legislature at the end.
1: Uh, Brad Keithley is our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Um, we are about two minutes out here in the break, uh, and I'm looking back to see if there's any uh, com. Harold, of course, says, did anyone hear flat tax? I'm late to the party. Haven't mentioned flat tax once, Harold. You're the culprit. You're the guy that mentioned it first today. So good on you. Good. Thanks for bringing it up. Brad, flat tax. I It's <laughs> It's really, I mean, again, going back to the balanced approach. He, he doesn't mention it specifically, but I I think really truthfully, uh, the, what I laid out was probably the scenario is that he felt like he could put it in the in the recommendations uh, of the number five balanced approach, but he can't really endorse it. He could put it out there and throw it out there and say, "Look, I put it out there," but because of uh, you know kind of his promises during election and everything else, he can't really endorse
0: it. I uh, and and that's and that's. Uh, that's unfortunate, Michael, uh, because the, 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 what we're getting down to is it's either going to be PFD cuts or something else more balanced. I mean, the legislature's been clear. This legislature's been clear that they're going to rely on PFD cuts. They're not, they're, not, they're not trying to hide the ball. They're not you – know, they're, they're very clear about it. Um, and and in the only way that we're going to avoid a future of funding government through PFD cuts only – is to have another approach out there, and and for people to be advocates of it, and 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 I think the balanced approach, which has a third coming from further budget cuts, a third coming from PFD restructuring, and a third coming from other taxes, uh, more equitable taxes, I think is is exactly the right approach that gets us to a to to a good landing spot in the state, creates a sustainable budget, and we sort of sort of go forward and 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 have a have a sustainable uh, okay. fiscal plan. This
1: this hail mary of the thirteen hundred and six dollar supplemental for the fully funded or the back payment of dividend, I mean, is that just posturing? Is that just signaling? What what is that?
0: That's the governor sticking with his his mantra of we ought to follow the law, um, and it's 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 a it's a him following through on that mantra, sending it off to the legislature. I don't think anybody uh uh has any expectation that's going to go any place in the legislature uh but i think it's just you know the governor sort of checking off that box of did i propose things that follow the law yes i did here's the bill i submitted uh, not my fault turn in my... right exactly
1: <laughs> not my fault that the legislature doesn't want to follow the law which again i think it gives it just more ammunition for that argument that uh that they may need to take ownership of it i I'm, I'm, maybe i'm ascribing way too much political acumen to the governor's team at this point but I I mean a guy could hope Uh, but it leads us to number two which of course is was his defense with Lori Townsend here in that piece that I just played where he said look it's the it's the constitutional amendments including the spending cap Uh, well the legislature's decided they're going to do a spending cap of their own which as you mentioned uh, completely ignores the governor's idea and is uh, a little bit different it's uh, it's an appropriations limit based on not on spending or not on uh, revenue, not on anything else. It's based on previous appropriations. It, give us a quick snapshot before we go to break, and we can rejoin it here.
0: Well, the the Senate spending cap is is a fig leaf. It's just it's it's their proposal, and it's the only proposal that's really moving the legislature right now. It's their proposal to say they're doing a spending cap, to say they've they followed through on a spending cap, but it's not constitutional. It's statutory only. And if you look at its chart, at the, at the chart that, that even the Senate puts out, uh, the spending cap stays well above our actual revenue level, uh, even if you count in the PFD. It's, it's, a, it's, it's lower than the sort of the, the current uh, non applicable, non attainable spending cap we've got in the Constitution, but, but it's falling between um, uh, where revenues actually are and that and that and that current uh, constitutional spending cap it doesn't achieve anything other than to give the senate a talking point and say yep we consider it a spending cap and, and and you know they may even pass it and say yeah we passed the spending cap but it's not an effective one
1: right right continuing with Brad Keithley here on Alaska's uh, uh, Alaskans for a sustainable budget we're talking about the weekly top 3 we had just gotten into number two for this week, which is Brad's discussion on, uh, you know, the leading proposals on a spending cap uh, here in the legislature. Um, and it just, it really doesn't really help anything. And they're not even really pushing it. I mean, they're talking about it, but even if they did pass it, first of all, it's statutory, which it not we know that they only, they only listen to the laws that they want to listen to. And second of all, even if they did follow it, it really doesn't help anything because, again, it's based on, uh on on past spending and and expenditures it's not based on uh actual revenue which of course is really one of the only responsible ways to try and set a spending cap in there is basing it on past revenue so you have a good idea of where you're going uh brad final thoughts here on number two what could they put in there that would really make a difference or you know what would uh, you know what would be responsible
0: well, two things, Michael. One is to do it through a constitutional amendment because you're exactly right. They only pay attention. They've established the precedent and the Supreme Court has said they, can only, pay, they only have to pay attention to the laws they want to. Um, and as long as they just do it on a statutory basis, uh, they'll just blow through it uh, uh, when, they get, when, when push comes to shove down the road. Um, and the second thing is, you're exactly right, it needs to be based on revenues. Uh, for those who really want to follow this, The lead bill that the Senate is considering is is SB104, and go to akledge.com, which is the legislature's website, uh, put SB104 in the search function. It will click on it. It will take you to the history of that bill, look over in documents, um, and then look for uh, a PowerPoint that was presented to the legislature at its uh, last hearing uh, on February 4th. Uh, and then look down to page three uh, of that of that uh, presentation, and it's a it's a nice little chart uh, graphic that graphs out uh, uh, past spending, past revenues, uh, the current constitutional uh, uh, spending cap, um, and and a variety of other things, uh, including the proposed the the spending cap proposed in SB one hundred four. And what you will see is the sB 104 line uh, from fy twenty one or fy twenty forward uh, is built on past spending that line escalates with inflation and in every year from fy twenty forward it exceeds revenues <laughs> um, <laughs> and so and so what are we doing i mean we're building in a spending cap that doesn't cap anything it is it is as foreign to the revenues that we've got to that we that we've got to deal with as the current spending cap, right? Um, and 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 so it really all it does is give Natasha and and Giesel and others a talking point saying, "Well, we passed the spending cap. We, you know, we we have been responsible. We went down there, and passed the spending cap, but it doesn't cap anything. Um, and and it's just, I mean, it's it's a fig leaf. So to do it responsibly, as we've talked on the show before. We need to base it on revenues, uh, sort of a rolling average of revenues so it doesn't – so the, the, the spending cap doesn't spike if revenues ever spike again. It sort of rolls up to it, takes into account uh, low years as well as high years, and keeps us sort of in the middle uh, of – if we have spikes, uh, uh, revenue spikes, keeps us sort of in the middle of that range – uh, and takes into account upturns as well as downturns, but is based on revenue. is right. based on dollars that we have in hand uh, to spend, as opposed to the spending cap. is based on past spending and just escalates uh, escalates off the board, and, and really doesn't doesn't help us at all.
1: We're out of money, Brad. I mean, we're <laughs> just, eventually the yogurt's going to hit the wall. I mean, there's just nothing left, and 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 I don't know what we'll do at that point, but. It's rapidly approaching, and and somebody's going to have to take some blame, or at least take the bull by the horns and make it happen. I don't know. We we've offered many solutions on the program here, but nobody seems to be paying attention to us. Uh, all right. Well, let's 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 move on to number three because we're rapidly running out of time. Number three reared its ugly head, and you could be. You could be said to be prescient. This is something that you and I talked about here uh, in a previous top three, which is the fact that there are financial institutions out there right now. And Ed King actually talked about this in his prediction for the new decade, saying that climate change and especially climate change, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, people who are who make that one of the centerpieces of their political Philosophy are going to be m- more influential in the future, and we're already seeing it with uh, uh, Goldman Sachs pulling out, and now J.P. Morgan Chase is saying that they are going to no longer invest in enterprises which are in the Arctic, uh, and that's caused some real ripples. Uh, what are your thoughts?
0: Well, Nat Hertz has a great article in uh, Alaska Public Media in the in the APRN uh, website. He put it up yesterday. the the high, the, the title of it. Is anxiety creeps into oil-dependent Alaska as banks step back from Arctic investment? Um, and there's a quote in there from Andy Mack, who was the uh, commissioner of resources, natural resources, under Governor Walker. And Andy says, "You know, it's sort of, it's, it's sort of, we can live through it if if it's one or two uh, investment banks, but but if you start adding more investment banks on some of the or more bankers on top of." Uh, on top of uh, redlining the Arctic uh, from from oil development, then then it begins to be a problem. And and I think the big story uh, for Alaska, frankly, this week in the oil patch is going to be J P Morgan. Goldman sort of got out there in front. Lloyd's Bank of of, of England, Deutsche Bank, some others had been out there in front uh, over in Europe, saying that this was that they were going to redline the Arctic. Uh, Goldman was sort of the first step in the U S. And people were trying to say, well. Goldman's just you know posturing. J.P. Morgan Chase stepping in uh, is significant. Uh, J.P. Morgan Chase is a significant banker to the oil industry, um, and and I think it's it's now we're seeing the more than one that uh, that Andy Max concerned about. Um, and 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 if you read uh, Nat's article, I, it Nat's done a really good job in this article about sort of capturing the mood of the oil industry. Uh, right now, uh, with respect to this issue, and um, and and you know, his title of "Anxiety Creeps In" I think is is exactly the right the right title. Well, there is a push. I'm, go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to say. I mean, I agree. His article has a very different tone. Suzanne Downing over at Must Read uh, is quoting and talking about the Washington Post article uh, where they quote Pavel uh, Michanov from uh, Raymond James Investments. Where he says he cut they kind of downplay it they say oil and gas activity in the Arctic is so slim anyway, the lending from such activities is essentially is essentially meaningless uh they they kind of downplay it um does it does that really track with your experience as an oil and gas attorney and being part of the industry in the past?
0: No, no Bankers play a critical role uh, in uh, in the development particularly among independents uh, in the development of the Arctic and what in nat's article. Uh, I put a lot of a lot of credence in because NAT went and talked to oil executives, uh, and talked to people who are involved in resource development in the state, and really tried to get a pulse of the industry, uh, as opposed to a pulse of of the stray, stray investment banker out there. I there is anxiety. I mean, I can testify personally uh, to the fact that I've heard people uh, uh, talk about the concern about this. It's not that it's not that Alaska isn't without weapons. I mean, we talked on we talked last week on the show about the fact that uh, Alaska's carbon footprint, actually development of of oil resources in Alaska has a lower carbon footprint than development in the Permian. In the Permian, they're flaring natural gas because because gas produced in association with oil uh, has has no value. Uh, they're flaring gas uh, at a at a very high rate, and flaring gas has has huge uh, uh carbon footprint
1: issues. I was just reading these two articles, and I, I mean D- downing's is pretty short, but it references this article, and I thought it really did kind of a disservice because it it 's so seriously it seems to downplay even the Washington Post article was not that rosy; she seemed to have plucked like the 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 you know the the uh, the nicest comment out of everything there uh trying to downplay this like it's no big deal but I, I mean i think this is a pretty big deal
0: it is a big deal and in alaska as i was as i was in the process of saying alaska has a has a good a good defense to it i mean people think that when you're drilling in the arctic you're going to have a big foot, big carbon footprint because the arctic has been a place where we've had declining sea ice and and, and you know melting permafrost and various other issues but those aren't caused by Arctic oil development they're caused by global co2 emissions so what you want what you really want to focus on is where are those global co2 emissions coming from and and you want to if you're going to redline anything because of climate change concerns redline those projects that have that have the highest uh, the highest uh, uh, co2 emissions uh, the oil sands in Alaska have been targeted uh, in fact tech Cominco yesterday announced the announced that they were going to shut down a project uh, that they that had been in the works uh, to develop a new oil sands field up there uh, frankly because they were having uh, funding issues with respect to that project and because the, the economics uh, were no longer uh, viable. that's been a target of the of the environmental groups uh, because of the big carbon footprint you mean
1: in albert you said alaska you meant alberta the tar sands in alberta Alberta, okay yeah no problem um
0: thank you for correcting me uh the permian has a much bigger carbon footprint uh than alaska does so if we're going to target carbon carbon footprints we ought not to be just you know blithely redlining regions uh because they happen to be in the arctic we ought to be looking at the carbon footprint of those regions and Alaska you know we discussed this on the show last week uh the climate leadership council the the, the group that has been promoting a uh, a carbon tax uh says Alaska has is lot is a lot better positioned than other regions in terms of its uh co2 emissions that we're much better about it than than other regions so Alaska has a good story to tell which is that we don't we're not the problem um, we we happen to live in the area that's being affected most by the problem, but we aren't the ones contributing to the problem. It's other regions that are contributing to the problem, and I think I think rather than downplaying this issue because this issue is going to keep going. I mean, JPJ's is 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 a is a big player, uh, and they're an important player, and I think them taking this position signals it's a real issue, um, and 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 we need to instead of downplaying it and ignoring it. We need to get ourselves involved in it and, and tell the Alaska story, which is we're not the problem. Look to the Permian, look at other places; they are the problem. That's where the carbon emissions are coming from. If you want to, if you want to redline somebody because they're not paying attention to their carbon emissions, go redline those places. We're a responsible place to develop. Right. We happen to live in the in the war zone because of because of the effects, but we're not the cause of it.
1: I want to take a sec here because people in the chat room are just temporarily losing their mind over the whole carbon footprint comment uh, saying, you know, oh, you drank the CO2 or you drank the CO2 Kool-Aid. It's all B- it's all BS, blah, 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 blah. blah. I mean, look, uh, we could believe and and think our, to ourselves that carbon footprints and all that stuff is just all but, you know, kind of baloney and everything else. The problem is the powers that be in these situations are seriously creating structures and outlines and regulations based on that. Whether we think it's true or not, whether we think it's right or good or, you know, you know, all this other kind of stuff. I mean, that's great, except that they are making regulations and decisions based on that. uh, So we have to at least engage in the when we're planning to be able to at least defend against it. I mean, we have to understand their game to be able to play
0: it. Exactly right, Michael. And and. You know, we do rely on, Alaska does rely, Arctic projects do rely on, on uh, investment bankers and on funding sources. We, we, don't, we don't generate enough funds on an ongoing basis to fund our own programs. Um, and we rely on outside funding for uh, these programs. Oil Search certainly is going to rely on outside funding uh, for these programs. And, and in that article, he's got, he's, here's a quote. Arctic seems to have turned into a four-letter word in the minds of a lot of these financial institutions, said an Alaska oil executive who asked not to be named to avoid attention, drawing attention to his particular company. These are are the guys on the front line. These are the guys going to try to raise these funds. They're facing these issues rather than, you know, try to stand in Chase's face or Golden's face saying, you guys are full of bullshit because you don't understand the real issue. There is no carbon issue. We need we need to we need to accept that that's what they think is reality and then tell them, look, Alaska is not the problem. If you think there's a carbon issue, Alaska is not the problem. Go, you know, redline Permian. Uh, Don't redline uh, Alaska. And and, you know, ignoring reality, ignoring the, 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 the funding reality that's out there is not a good plan.
1: Right. Well, I agree, and uh, and, I, and I agree. I think Catherine has it right, which is, is have to get ahead of their narrative instead of arguing against it. That trick works for them, and they've been crushing us with it. I mean, that's exactly what we have to do. And, uh, hey, look, Brad even said bullshit after we got off the air, which is good. So I'm glad that we got that. <laughs> glad we got-
0: I, I made sure it- yeah, in, in my mind, I made sure I we were off the air.
1: <laughs> I think it's I think it's a it's a good call. All right, folks. Um, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Agree with him, love him, hate him. He always brings good, thoughtful stuff to comment about and uh, and discuss here on the program. Thank you, Brad, for coming on board. We appreciate it, my friend.
0: Michael, as always, thanks for having me.
1: It's always a good discussion, and always a always a good time when we get a chance to talk with Brad.
0: Well, that's a wrap for another week's edition of the weekly top three from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you again for joining us. Remember that you can find past episodes on our YouTube, SoundCloud, and Spotify pages. And keep track of us during the week on Facebook and Twitter. This has been Brad Keithley, Managing Director of Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We look forward to you joining us again next week on the weekly top three.